This is week two of the sermon series is called Big Things Often Come in Small, Unwanted, and Surprising Packages. Our text comes from Luke chapter two, and I want you to just listen like you've never heard the story before. The angels came to the shepherds in Luke 2.11, and they said, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. That's big. That's big stuff. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is really big stuff. This is a big promise. It's a big word delivered to little people, shepherds. The angel went on to say, you will find a baby. And wait, now that's, that's little stuff. Again, we, we thought we were going to find the Savior. We were talking about big stuff, the Messiah. The Word, as the Word of God always does, helps us to be able to receive it when we see it. It's a big promise, but it's going to look like just a little tiny baby. And they'll be wrapped in clothes. And the Greek, those are clothes that were for burials. That he would be born and he, he would be born to die. He would be wrapped. There's all kinds of foreshadowing. Big package. Big thing in a small package. And he'll be lying in a manger. There's no way we can fully grasp how confusing just in that light, you'll find a baby wrapped in burial clothes in a trough. But it's supposed to be the Messiah, our Savior. The Bible, as I teach this all the time because it's core to our ministry here at the church. And for Candace and me, this is serious stuff. The Bible opens God bringing the woman to the man. And we teach our girls, God will bring you to your husband. You don't have to look for him. The, the two became one flesh. The Bible opens with a wedding and the Bible closes 66 books later in Revelation chapter 21. The, the marriage scene there is the son of God and his bride, us, the church. Bible opens with a marriage, it closes with a marriage. It, and there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of pictures throughout those 66 books about family and children and the next, the next generation and the one after that. Um, it starts in Joshua. Well, it starts way before Joshua, but just some highlights. And you've heard me say this, but I want us to be in our DNA on our hard drive where we don't even have to think about it. We know this is, how, this is what God is about, family. And... Um, as, they, as he brings the children of Israel into the promised land, there's one more river. It's at flood stage, and usually right before you inherit the promise, it looks impossible like you're not going to inherit. And God says, I'll open that one up, and I want each family, tribe, I want each family to grab a rock out of the middle of that riverbed. And when you get over, I want you to take those stones and build an altar. And God says, I want it to be done specifically so that your children, when they say, hey, Papa, what's, what is this? And God says, you will be able to tell them of the miraculous things I've done. God wants to do something in every adult's life that is so significant that your children will be forced at some point. They will see something, 
and go, tell me about this. There's a lot to talk about right there. But that's how God, God wants to do something in every generation that it stimulates and piques the interest of the next generation. In Deuteronomy and in Psalm, God says that I will be faithful to a thousand generations. A thousand generations. In Genesis, he said to Adam and Eve, now be fruitful and multiply. Replenish or restore to its original state the earth. All that comes through family. In Malachi, the 39 books of the Old Testament close, and as I said last week, the prophet says, the one who will prepare the way for the Messiah, John the Baptist, he will come in the spirit of Elijah, and he will do what Elijah did. He will restore families by turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Jesus comes 400 years later, as I said last week, there's 400 years of nothing. God's not speaking. There's no scripture. And the last thing we heard was the Messiah's coming at some point, but we've been waiting hundreds of years. And sometime he's going to restore men to love their children. And that will be the nucleus that will cause families to come back together. And that will be a, a, a condition, a prerequisite for the Messiah to come. And then Jesus comes 400 years later, that's a long time of waiting. And then when Jesus comes, Matthew, a Jewish disciple, says his 28 books are going to be written to convince Jewish people that Jesus is not a great teacher only, but he is the Messiah. And he starts out by convincing them that Jesus is the Messiah by listing 42 generations of people, families from Abraham all the way to Jesus. That's how the New Testament opens up. And we talked about this last week, how confusing it is. You never list the women's name in, the ge in a genealogy. And Matthew lists four. Tamar, Rahab, um, Ruth, and Bathsheba. And three of those women are not women you would want your son to marry. And yet they're connected and make it in the scripture. God hasn't spoken for 400 years and we're three verses in and we're talking about a prostitute being the great, 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 great grandmother of the Messiah. And I, I can't help but ask myself, and I've asked myself this question a million times, why did God put that there? It wasn't by accident. Holy Spirit inspired and arranged and moved upon the, the canons as Scripture was formed. And that's the first part of the new covenant. That's a, that's a, that's a game breaker. That's a, that's a game changer. This, that's big stuff. Why would he do that? On and on throughout the Old Testament, though, we see that there's a promise. And please, children, hear me. And grown children. I'm one. The one commandment that has a promise, the first commandment with a promise is the fifth one, honor your father and mother. It's a big deal. And then later in Ephesians, in the New Testament, Paul would, would mention it again when he's talking about family order. In chapter five, he talks about marriage. And then in chapter six, he's talking to fathers about don't exasperate your children. Don't live in such a way that makes it hard for your children to receive Jesus or believe God is real. 
And then he says to children, he says, honor your father and mother so that things, listen, that things may go well with you and that you might live long in the land of promise. I could teach for three weeks on that, submission and authority. People who don't understand submission, who struggle with rebellion or hard-headedness or independence, live a long, hard life. And if they're ever in the place of promise, it's only there briefly, and they keep getting kicked out because they don't understand. As Watchman Nee said, the whole spiritual world spins on the axis of submission and authority. And so we learn and see in Scripture how important it is. I'm taken back just reading through the New Testament this, this, this year four times. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in jail, and you know the story. Midnight, they're praising God. Earthquake hits because real praise shakes things up. Can I get a witness? And um, they get out of jail, and the jailer goes, oh, my goodness, I'm going to lose my life tomorrow when they find out they're out, so I'm going to take my life. And Paul says, no, don't take your life. Today, salvation is coming to you and your entire household. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus delivers the man from demon possession. It's a massive miracle and it's no it's not Matthew 5 I think it's Mark 5 isn't it yeah Mark 5 19 and when Jesus delivers that man he is radically changed and he says to Jesus I want to go with you and the disciples and if I was Jesus the traveling evangelist can you imagine how awesome it would be to have your crusade meetings opened up or have this guy to share his story and Jesus says no you can't go with us go back and show your family what's happened to you. Jesus wanted his family to see what Jesus had done in him. We see this all through scripture. Three quick things. What is God saying by opening up the New Testament with the 42 generations listed of Jesus? Number one, he's saying this. God works in and through broken families. How many of you are glad about that? I mean, be glad about it. Broken, dysfunctional families. And I know whoever it was said it the first time, the Ramseys put the fun in dysfunction. Um, we're all messed up. We're all broken. We all need a Savior. None of us are perfect. I remember growing up going, my mom and dad are the only ones on our whole street that have cross words. <gasps> and then my mom and dad survived 79, 90 years of marriage. And I saw other people, and I'm like, oh, wow, maybe ours is not the only less than perfect family. But God works in dysfunctional, broken families. The second thing we, he, he lists that is so that we would know children matter to God. Now, they matter a lot. And I want to say to you, they matter because children don't stay children forever. Children become adults, and adults matter to God. It's John Roseman in his book, Parenting by the Book, that thank God we read this years ago. It says, you're not raising children. You're raising 30-year-olds. So don't raise them with a 12- to 15-year plan. Raise them with a 30-year plan. And as our children have gotten married and graduated college, I've told them, congratulations. But graduating college was not the goal. 
They got married, and we said congratulations, but getting married was not the goal. They got a job and got off the payroll, and we said congratulations, that was the goal. <laughs> Amen. They became functional adults. Um, I want to show you something. You know, we're big into roots and, and being planted in a community. We would have left Atlanta a long time ago because of traffic and everything else. And both Candace and I came from small towns. But we couldn't because this is where our roots were. And we raised our children. We've had opportunities. We could have moved. But we're like, no, we want to stay here because we want our children to be rooted in this crazy, busy, traffic-confested um, uh, community. And so here we are. God bless you too. Um, but in preparing for this and to introduce the children that are about to come in a few minutes, I just, I want you to see we're not raising children. We're raising adults. And listen, they are children for just a brief time. All of you who are struggling with three preschoolers. And every time you get to church at 10, 18, and the worship is all done and everybody's smiling like they've been sitting with Jesus and your hair's all raveling and you forgot your kids' doppers. And you said, just tell them, borrow somebody else's. Um, it will fly by like this. This is 1995 and you might recognize this lady, this children's pastor, who is kicking off the children's musical that Sunday. So right now, Jesus Junction would like to present God's Surprise. You recognize that girl? That's our pastor, Cindy. And she hadn't changed hardly one bit. Daryl has, but she hadn't. <laughs> 20 minutes later, this little four-year-old, three-year-old, just turned five-year-old, sings. All right, children. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on one second. You might recognize this voice as his children and grandchildren are still here, although he's passed on and gone on to be with the Lord. I'm sorry. All right, children, listen now to the rest of the story. So the shepherds went into Bethlehem and found Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they ran and told everybody about the amazing thing that happened and praised God for this wonderful gift. times became this little guy. Stand up, Brandon. <laughs> children matter to God because not only does he love children, but they will become adults who raise children, who become adults who raise children.
And he's promised to be faithful to a thousand generations. Matthew 18, the disciples asked Jesus, which one of us is the greatest in the kingdom? Dumb question, right? Jesus took a child and said, unless you change and become like little children, you won't ever even enter. You will never enter the kingdom. Whoever becomes like this child is the greatest in the kingdom, and whoever welcomes children welcome me. In Mark 10, children were coming to Jesus, and the disciples were acting like, man, they're a disruption. I don't know what's going on here, but this is Jesus, and he's the Messiah, and we need these children to skedaddle. They weren't that important. And the scripture says that Jesus became indignant. Matthew 18, Jesus said, don't ever offend a child. You'd be better off to tie a cinder block around your neck and be thrown into the ocean than to offend one of these. And you may be thinking, Pastor Chuck, just introduce the children. Let me tell you, I'm getting ready to. <laughs> when we have pastors who are proclaiming to be pro-choice pastors, when we have a culture that's trying to, listen, redefine family. Listen, we're not going to just let our cute little children come up here. We're going to celebrate them and talk about how valuable they are because before long, they'll have their microphone in their hand and they'll be introducing their children. Come on, are y'all out there this morning? That's why we're doing this. I've got to, I've got to introduce these children but there's something in me that goes brothers and sisters that abortion spirit that murderous spirit of this culture it is it has no place in this you think whatever you want to think we love children he loves children if the holy spirit had put jesus in the wrong womb at the wrong time next to a planned parenthood center who knows what would have happened I'm going to skip on and go down. You know, children matter here. Number three, Christmas can change everything. Listen to me. I'm going to just jump and close right here. Holy Spirit, if he can conceive Jesus in your family, if you can have the miracle of Christmas, if you, sir, as a husband, as a father who struggles if you would just say, as we talked about, like, may it be unto me according to your word. And Jesus is birthed in you. It can change everything. And you go, Pastor Chuck, what, why do we talk about family? I'm single, and this is painful, and Christmas is hard for a lot of us. It is. And the reason we talk about it is because it's important to God, and we can't let the fear of it offending someone keep us from celebrating one of God's principles in his kingdom. And here's the other thing. For people who struggle and came from terrible dysfunction, people who have never been able to enjoy family, God puts you in a place like this that values family. And you're in a church where Psalm 68 says that he settles the lonely in families. And before you miss the further part of the New Testament, how important family is and this theme that runs all through Scripture, Paul says to Timothy, here's the people who should be in charge of the church. Men who lead their families well. 
Ephesians 2.19 teaches that you're no longer strangers or foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family. And you belong in the household of God, the family of God. All right, let me close this because I really am. Um, I've pushed my luck. And see, my iPad is falling apart. I want to close right here with this. The beauty of what God is doing at restoration in this family is just comical at times. All right? Last Sunday, we start a series. Big things often come in small, unwanted, surprising packages. It's the first Sunday in December. We're coming into Christmas season, and we preach from Luke chapter 2. And there's a new family that comes to me at the end of the service and introduces themselves. I'm not making this up. And they got this, the man says, my name is Joseph, and this is my wife, Mary. <laughs> True. And they had a child right in the middle of them, and they said, and this is our child, Bella. How cool, how cool is that? I was like, if this is Joshua or, or Jesus or something, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall over. <laughs> right behind them, you may know there is, and I, I hope he doesn't mind, but you already know most of his story. There's a man we've been trying to raise money to get a car for who's spent some time, who came from a lot of brokenness and hurt from family. And God settled him in a family and then settled him here. And so right after Joseph and Mary, there's another couple that comes forward and says, hey, we have a car. It's sitting outside, by the way. It's a Toyota 2011, 80-some thousand miles on it. And we would like to give it to that family. And listen, guess what his name was? Angel. <laughs> guess what his wife's name was? Gabriella. I'm kidding. <laughs> Is that awesome or what? You may go, oh, that's just coincidence. No, when Joseph and Mary show up at Restoration Church and an angel comes and says, here's the keys to one of our cars that we don't need anymore. Come on, somebody. It's Jamie Zook. Jamie, are you here? Stand up. Right outside those doors, down the sidewalk, we have your new Toyota Corolla Sport Package. Is that great or what? All right, now sit down. God settles the lonely in families. 